Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. This is Reservations, and I'm Rain Whalen. And I'm Ernest Riverside. <laughs> is, is it yeah. because we're on River? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. First episode of the new year, and mm-hmm. that's that's a good one. Yeah, I know. I, I, my well, creative juices weren't flowing, so I, I grabbed something I could say. I, I Kaiser Soze'd you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, you know, uh, like I just mentioned off mic, the season has taken us 10 fucking months. So I don't blame you that you are names after a while. Yeah, you're pretty much done. Uh, (laughs) Almost home stretch. But welcome back, everyone. And yes, first new episode of the new year. Um, We hope everyone had a great New Year's. Jeremy, did you have a good New Year's? Yeah, it was all right. What uh, what, did, what did you and Haley do? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Uh, Ash, technically, technically, Ashley and I necess- didn't necessarily do nothing, but we we hung out with her family because she has some family from East Texas, which coincidentally, um, uh, Ashley's great aunt, mm-hmm. uh, it was born in the same town that Haley's from. Oh. Bummer. Uh, Sulphur Springs? Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> Bummer, dude. Sulphur Springs sucks. <laughs> uh, your in-laws watch this and they they just kick your door down they as know. we're recording. They know it sucks. They know there's nothing to do there. Oh, uh, man. Well, but yeah. Uh, dude, it's hard to believe it's 2023 already. It feels like 2022 flew by. Yeah. Um. My aunt, Dee Dee, who you met at the wedding, um, uh-huh. she she asked me something. I don't remember what it was. It was something to do with, like, life goals or something. And I said, Dee Dee, uh-huh. I didn't think I'd make it this far. So like, every, day <laughs> just, every day is just a, a treasure, you know? Every day is a blessing, uh, you know, especially, you know, keeping your thetan levels high, you know? I mean, you know, like I try to keep them as low as I can, but you know, you can't, you know, <laughs> without uh, regular auditing. Se- guys, this is why auditing sessions are very important. <laughs> uh, Scientology is a cult, everyone. <laughs> Scientology. Uh, no. Well, before we get into it, I really wanted to talk about it, but then like everything just sort of lined up where we weren't going to get to talk about it until this episode. Uh, we finally saw the whale. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, anyone, if you have the opportunity, definitely go check it out. Um, my mom said something that I really agree with because, as I mentioned off mic, she finally saw it. Um, we're watching Brendan Fraser become Charlie. You know, mm-hmm. Brendan, I feel like, kind of fell into this trap of being a character actor, but it's there's no Brendan Fraser here. It's all Charlie. I know it's a brilliant performance. He, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely Oscar worthy. You know, Mm. it's so weird to talk, you know, now when I say things like that, it's sort of like, who fucking cares? You know, fuck the Oscar. (laughs) You know what I mean? Fuck all that shit. I used to, that used to be like my night. I used to like, you know, no one fucking call me. No one come talk to me. Like I'm watching the Oscars tonight. You know what I mean? And now it's like, who, I'm not even going to watch it this year. 
do you think it's because you feel that way just because of everything that's happened over the years and especially with last year of, of will ruining the entire night i mean it just it it just doesn't matter you know i think the longer this these awards exist the less they matter right yeah that's and, that's true or maybe that's just me being cynical i don't care anymore um it i you know the way we consume um information about film and the way we find out about stuff and the way that we um discover films is completely different so i think you know what the oscars really is or was is you know hey these were the great films this year that you missed right yeah uh, you should go check these out whenever you can right now it's just like yeah mm-hmm. i know you know yeah um yeah or, i mean I mean, the market is so oversaturated that it's like I haven't heard of half of these. I don't know what you're talking. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's true. It just, who fucking <sighs> well, and also you know, in cool? recent years, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and also recent years, you know, a lot of the movies that you and I really loved didn't even make it. Like the one that people can see right there, The Green Knight. So. Right. Yeah, oh, I mean, and speaking I, of which, yeah. Well, let's just say, speaking of which, the elephant in the room, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, Jeremy and I are not in the same room right now. Um, Ashley and I had a bit of a COVID scare. We were around someone who just tested positive. So to play it safe, I'm not naming names. Name names. But they know who they they are. (laughs) Uh, But to play it safe, because, you know, we're all supposed to hang out on Friday for... uh, Mr. Jeremy's birthday coming up. Um, we wanted to play it safe and didn't want to get Jeremy sick, especially if we're going to be hanging out. So, anyway, so, COVID, so it doesn't matter. Uh, I was going to say something you're going to get so mad at me for, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, so, if you tuned in last week, I, I was going to say last year. Uh, you still said uh, it, and I'm still mad at you. Go ahead. If you tuned in last week, uh, today we are talking about the sweet smell of success. Um, I like I mentioned last week, I don't remember where I heard about this movie or why I so desperately needed the Criterion version, but I'm glad I did. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't remember where did, I heard about it either. If I'm being honest, yeah, that's with you. what um, that was just what I was about to ask you. Where did you hear about it? Maybe like um, maybe research for film noirs or something because it it's technically under that category. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get into why that's weird in a little bit, but maybe that's where I heard about it. Uh, you know, I can't imagine me looking up like Tony Curtis's filmography for some reason. Uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> or Burt Lancaster's for that matter. Um, my uncle Roy um, told me years ago I need to see The Swimmer with uh, Burt Lancaster, um, which is on my shelf over there, and I haven't watched it yet. But um, <laughs> or it's incredible. Uh, um, you know, and your uncle Roy is is, is pretty he's, he's pretty good to, or no, that's your cousin. Never mind. I was gonna say your uncle Roy is pretty quick to to comment, so he's gonna hear that you still haven't watched it and be yeah, mad. no, he does. He knows I haven't seen this shit. 
Um, <laughs> I'm going to eventually, maybe um, see it because I loved Burt Lancaster in this film. Um, but yeah, I don't remember where I heard about it. I just, you know, whatever tipped me off about it, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, it may have even been, oh, the cover looks cool on the Criterion. And I was like, okay, yeah, you know, or something, right? Because it is, yeah, I have it yeah. right here. It is very cool. Right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But you know, I'm glad you put that up. I was gonna have Future Rain do a uh, have something no kind need. of slide across the screen. But no need. Um. Uh, but anyway, um, I guess we can start with first impressions. Uh, yeah, since this was the first time for the two of us. Yeah, Rain, go ahead. Uh, I loved it, man. Um, and I really wanted to. Uh, I mean, I know we'll get into it as we always do, but. Um, the whole time I was watching, I was like, Jeremy's going to love this movie. I was like, I can just, I could feel it because no one in this world is a quote unquote good person. No. And I was like, I was like, Jeremy's going to love this. I, yeah. I just know it. Uh, now granted, that's what made me love it too. I was like, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad we're not following, um, anyone who is morally good or, or even morally neutral, you know, mm-hmm. the, our main characters are bad people. And I was like, okay, that's, that's sort of fresh, especially for 57. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause you know, I mean, we'll get into it. I don't want to jump all over, but I, I loved that our main characters, two of our main characters are awful human beings. <laughs> Yeah, I read in an article uh, today um, that it says Sydney is bad, JJ's worse, right? Yeah. Um, which you know is it, sort of their you know dynamic of you know Burt Lancaster in this film is the antagonist, I guess. Um, For sure. For the, sure. The main antagonist. If we had these sort of traditional tropes, which we kind of don't, right? Um, I loved it. You're right. I I knew you would. If anything, it was because I loved the way people spoke in this movie. Um, Mm -hmm. The the violence doesn't come with with shootouts or fistfights or anything. It's all just dialogue. It's all just breaking people down with their words, right? Um, mm. which is sort of like an underlying theme of this where the penny is mi- the pen is mightier than the sword is sort of the theme uh, of this film because you know it deals with gossip columnists and it deals with you know publicity it deals with right all that stuff um, yeah okay quick synopsis um, we Shoot. got yeah um, we have Sidney Falco who is a uh, publicity agent I guess is what they said. Yes. Yeah. And his main source of getting his clients information out there is through, um, hold on. I'm going to get it. JJ Hunsecker. Uh, JJ Hunsecker is a, um, a very well-respected and somehow powerful, uh, gossip columnist, um, Mm -hmm. who is based on a real person. And we'll get to that later. Um, and they have this sort of weird relationship where um, Hunsucker, Hunsecker, sorry, I always, 
that's going to happen a lot because uh, the Hudsucker Proxy is a movie I was I'm just familiar with, and <laughs> it's so similar. I'm going to say that so many times. Okay, um, Hudsucker is had tasked Falco with breaking up his Hunsecker's kid sister and her boyfriend. Um, mm-hmm. His name is Steve Dallas. And yeah. he is a, he's a uh, jazz guitarist, which is cool. Um, if you know anything about jazz, it's hard to be a jazz guitarist. Um, and the relationship between JJ and Susie is sort of weird. And we'll get to that in a little mm-hmm. bit later as well. Um, but initially Falco failed at this, at this job because she is still with this guy. Right. And in fact, it's getting more serious. And so now the, f- the film carries out with, well, let's, you know, try again or else. Right. Yeah. All the while it's sort of like Falco is still trying to get in to Hunsaker's good graces in just trying to stay relevant. Right. He, in the film, he says that, uh, Hunsaker is the golden ladder to where he wants to be, right? He is, he mm-hmm. needs his, it's almost like he needs his, I don't know, okay, or his say so, or it's so strange the relationship. Anyway, um, yeah. Trial and error, things um, don't go well for Falco, right? As he's trying to break these two up. Um, he finally succeeds, but to what end? Right. Um, yeah. And uh, the movie ends with him getting arrested and Susie just going off on her own, finally getting some independence and some confidence in herself and leaving um, the the shadow of these two men that have been controlling her life. Right. Um, that's pretty much sweet selling success. And the, yeah. the title in and of itself is sort of, um, is sort of cool for a 1957 audience. Um, so where do you want to start? I say the obvious choice would be to start with, Sydney, mm-hmm. in my opinion, but let's start with JJ because okay. I don't think I've ever been so. I don't think I've ever seen a bully on camera <laughs> like I have seen with with JJ, you know. And uh, and you're and you're right, like what you said with that article. He is the worst, and. You know, and even in like, and like, we'll get into it, but I just wanted to mention, like, even when, when Falco succeeds in his mission, it's still not good enough for JJ, you know? And, and, you know, and he, okay, let's just start with JJ. Let's, let's do that. Um, so spoiler alert, I have never seen Burt Lancaster or, Tony Curtis, any other movies before. So this was a first for me. That's a real on shame. Both, on both of those fronts. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, definitely, like we've mentioned on multiple episodes this season, uh, J.J. is definitely written as someone you love to hate. Yeah, because he's... You... 
you're almost gravitated towards him because you're wondering why he is he pulls people in and he's so he's powerful in a way that's sort of strange because he's just a gossip columnist right that shouldn't be that mm-hmm. important right but when you see that you know whatever he writes it explodes right i mean it it is mm-hmm. what people take as truth right people take as fact and it's what he can elevate someone to a higher level or he can break someone down right um and destroy them yeah. right which again is why the dialogue the the way people speak to one another is so important in this um and why it's you know so highlighted i think mm-hmm. um and that's probably why he's being treated as such as this powerful presence and this someone to be respected and feared right um mm-hmm. and then there's that weird thing with Susie, right his yeah. sister yeah, so, that is. So as yeah. I've said, um, he he is based on a real person. Um, mm-hmm. He is based on a I have written down a a gossip columnist, uh, Walter Winchell, um, and Walter Winchell had a very strange relationship with his daughter. Right, sort of a similar thing where he would sabotage every relationship she had and maintained an ever-present male um, presence in her life. Right. Okay. He, it was almost incestuous. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is gross, but we we can yeah. see that here. Right. Um, the Lehman who wrote the book wrote the novel um, or novella. Sorry. Um, knew him in some sort of fashion, despised him. Very similar to when we spoke about um, um, Mank and mm-hmm. his relationship with um, what's his face, who is the newspaper guy. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Charles Dance's character. Uh, yeah. Um, I can, yeah. I know. Yeah. And it's sort of that. Right. Like he he saw something he didn't like, wrote a character based on that person. And here we are. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's it's sort of like a highlight of like the seedy underbelly of New York. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, these these people doing pretty low life things, however, not necessarily illegal. Right. They're, they're just ethically bad. Right. Yeah. Uh, not till sort of. Yeah. Not till sort of well, the very end. Yeah, we're almost done. Illegal. Like twenty minutes left, and then somebody yeah. does something illegal. Right. So. Sorry. So. Hunsecker is again based on this character, based on this real person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who <laughs> had that weird thing with, and so that's why that relationship is so. So strange and why the plot is heavily it is why there's so much of this in the plot is um, this weird thing he changed it to sister which I guess is a little better Um, it's still weird but I guess not as weird as daughter right (laughs) and also a weird thing about uh, JJ's character is that the only sort of traditional film noir 
lighting we get is when he's being intimidating or when he is trying to loom over someone mm-hmm. and where he is being a, uh, a threatening presence, right? That's where we sort of get this high contrast lighting where he is just doused in shadow, right? Yeah. And you can really see the, the contours of his face and the, where the light hits him. And it's, you know, it's pretty cool. You can see it in the beginning of the film when Falco goes to see him at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. he is, and he's being very, intimidating and um, I mean awful to everyone at the table but um, it you know just being a controlling presence right yeah yeah so uh, yeah yeah JJ is definitely someone uh, that daddy didn't say I love you to enough <laughs> I guess so yeah um, yeah man I you know I wasn't expecting the the plot to be so centered around this like when i when i read the back because ashley ashley wasn't really paying attention mainly because she wanted to read her book so i I put my headphones on so i could watch Mm -hmm. and but i could tell certain certain times she would kind of like and so before i started watching it she was like what is this movie about and i read the back of it and i just kind of figured like this would be like the b plot within the movie that the a plot would be you know what these guys do day in and day out. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was like, Oh, this, this is the whole movie is Sydney yeah. being this dude's lackey apparently. Um, and yeah, and I was, I was actually kind of waiting for the, the shoe to drop mm-hmm. that they were going to openly admit that the, that the relationship was more than just brother, sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, I guess that's too taboo for 57, you know. Maybe. But, you know, it's also, I think, in this case, you could even argue that if, obviously, those undertones are there, and Mm. they're almost not undertones. But you could also argue that it's just he's, J.J. is so used to being in control, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And Susie is someone he can control 100%, right? Yeah. And yeah, when she is in a relationship, when she is getting serious with someone like Steve Dallas, it's threatening his control, right? It's mm-hmm. it's taking that away from him and he wants it back, right? Whether he means to or not, whether or not he even realizes that's what he's doing, right? Yeah. He just knows he doesn't like it. Yeah. Because yeah, all he will, yeah, all he'll admit is that he just doesn't like this guy and that's yeah. it. You know, and it sounds like he's only met him once and, you know, maybe didn't get a, I don't know, but I, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you're right. I think, I think it's, it's definitely to him. Control is probably definitely equated with power. And if he doesn't have the power, then he doesn't have the control. Yeah. Um, which would make sense with why JJ feels like he can stand up to a U.S. senator and put the U.S. senator pretty much in his place. And he can because the U.S. Yeah. senator is there with a prostitute. So yeah. it's you know it's like what are you going to do? I have this information, right? And again, that's what makes him so powerful is he collects information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just gross, terrible information you know 
for blackmail or for uh, for spite or you know whatever. Um, yeah, or for readership, which is most of what he wants. Yeah. Well, and then good transition. Uh, we have Sydney. Yeah. Who is not necessarily? I wouldn't necessarily call him the the anti JJ, but no, because he wants. It's almost like he wants to emulate, right? Yeah. There is a great line which I'm going to convince you to be the title. Um, okay. Where they're at the table and JJ leans in, he goes, "Match me, Sydney." Right. Mm-hmm. And it means two things. One, light, light my a cigarette. cigarette for me. Right. Yeah. Light it for me. Right. Which is a type of control. Which is a type of um, of a manipulation. Right. And mm. two, do what I do. Right. If you want the success that you actually want. Right. That you, if you yeah, that want, you claim you want. Yeah. If you want to use me to elevate yourself, do what I do. Right. Be mm-hmm. like me, right? And so there are times in this film where it's so bizarre because Hunsecker is treating Falco like garbage. I mean, just straight garbage. Mm-hmm. And then he'll just be sitting there and Hunsecker pulls out a cigarette and immediately Falco gets the lighter, you know, and holds mm-hmm. it up to him, puts it in his pocket, and then stands behind him in support. It's so bizarre, right? Well, and... You know, okay. Here, before we get into that, you know, well, no. I think Sydney, I think he sees JJ as sort of a, as a means to an end, mm-hmm. you know, in a way. I think, I think more so he, he's like, okay, if, if I do this, I'll get in his good graces, I'll get the column, and then everyone will know me like him, and then I don't ever have to associate with him ever again mm-hmm. at least maybe that's that's what i gathered from from sydney because they do paint sydney as somewhat you want to root for him i mean yeah. i didn't want to root for him i'm like i hope he does not succeed <laughs> and breaking up especially because he has such that such great conversation with Susie about dallas and it almost seems like he understands like, okay, like this is really important to her, but he still goes through with this, you know, this plan. Yeah. Um, but to me, that's what it, that's what it felt like is that he's using, he's using JJ to get what he wants. He just knows like, well, whatever he does, I've got to, I've got to back him. That way I can, I can earn myself enough credit that way he can depend on me and then yeah, you know, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And At least both like I said, sort of, they're both sort of morally corrupt in different ways. For instance, um, Falco's not, not as morally, you know, unethical <laughs> than, yeah. than JJ is. However, uh, there's this great scene where he goes and meets that comedian Right. Mm -hmm. And while that day earlier, he read a piece of the uh, the next issue of the column. Right. And it's talking Mm -hmm. about that comedian and it's talking about, you know, how great he was and, 
you know, uh, everyone was, you know, screaming in laughter. It was, it was, it was a great night, right? Really, mm-hmm. you know, lifting him up, right? So he uses that information, right? Article hasn't come out yet. He goes and he talks to the comedian to convince him that he's the guy, he's the publicist for him, right? Mm-hmm. He goes, pretends to call Hunsecker, tells him exactly what he read earlier that day knowing that it's going to be there anyway. Right. And to make it seem as if he is the one that, that came up with the idea that came up with the wording that got him to write it in the article. Right. Mm -hmm. It's slimy, but it's cool. Right. It's genius. Right. He's yeah. (laughs) He's playing to that sort of like seedy, um, you know, sort of, uh, wily, uh, trope of this you know gross publicist right yeah well and and you know and and sydney's you know i'm not gonna lie i wasn't expecting him him, expecting him to have a multifaceted plan Mm -hmm. um so sydney is shockingly very intelligent Mm -hmm. uh he just i think exactly what you've been saying he he's just he's just really slimy about it you know uh, he was laughing. Which, you know, it makes it hard for you to root for him. Yeah. But it definitely seems like they want us to root for, at least until the last 20 minutes. Like, they want us to root for, for Sydney. Um, because there are some things that Sydney, yeah, Sydney's really slimy on. Like, when he pretty much prostitutes out his, his friend, who's... Yeah. Uh, Rita, who's clearly got a thing for him, you know, and he pretty much ho- uh, whores her out mm-hmm. so he can use this other writer to smear Dallas, which was phase one of his plan. Yeah. And, you know, uh, but then <clears throat> for a brief moment, he turns his nose up to the idea of planting evidence on Dallas like oh I would never do that like no that's this is too much for me but but with the with the bribe of well you'll get to run my column for three months that's what pulls him back in and he's like oh well I guess I can do this so yeah it's just it's hard to root for Sydney you know yeah and I'm gonna be honest I was when, when things started coming to a head at the end, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to feel so bad for him. But as the movie began to unfold, because I knew Sydney was going to get his comeuppance. Mm-hmm. When his, when the, that, that final, when, when Susie entered in her own sort of con, I was like, yeah, I, I don't feel bad for, for Sydney. He, uh, he kind of brought this on himself. Yeah. Which... Again, made it hard for to root for him, uh, but I mean, I wasn't. By that point, I wasn't rooting for him. I was rooting for Susie. And like, yeah. like, get yourself out of there, please. Right. Yeah, manipulate. You know, these two men who manipulate you all the time, right? Yeah. Uh, she turned them against you. It was it was brilliant, right? Um, so it's funny you mention the the planting of evidence. Uh, I also read that. Uh, Walter Winchell, who Hunsucker's based on, uh, mm-hmm. was friends with J. Edgar Hoover, 
Really? Um, and would use his connection with J. Edgar Hoover uh, to to run smear campaigns for the people he didn't like, and especially the the people who wanted to date his daughter. Right? Hmm. Uh, isn't that interesting? Very interesting, especially because Hoover was uh, gross. not the best person either. Yeah, gross no, is too, and, gross too. And again, he also he was basically a gossip columnist too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, very, very interesting. I know. Very interesting. Yeah. Um. All right. So, okay. Do we? Do you want to talk about Susie? Because even though, bit, yeah. Because even though she doesn't have a lot of screen time, you know, she is the main. I don't want to reduce her down to a plot device, but she she kind of is sort of a a plot device in a way. Yeah, I agree. Uh, She up until the last five minutes is, you know, just used for for manipulation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. And when so with JJ, of course, it's just power over her. It's control, right? Mm-hmm. With Falco, it's you know I need to get in good with your brother. So can you just help me out, right? Yeah. And when she's <laughs> like, no, he's like, well then I'm just gonna make it happen anyway, right? Um, you know. <laughs> He he sort of presents himself as someone she can trust until, of course, you know, he was just using that information against her, which, mm-hmm. you know, is gross. Um, yeah. And like you were saying, it's not up until, you know, she gets that idea or whatever, the plan to, you know, fake a suicide attempt, um, lure Falco to her place, make it look you know, a little suggestive, um, wait for JJ to come in and then, you know, make it seem like he was, you know, um, there for nefarious purposes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and which is really interesting because when Falco leaves, um, JJ immediately was like, nah, man, I, believe him you were trying to commit to you know what i mean <laughs> it's so bizarre because he's like i didn't buy it for a second you know what i mean yeah yeah it's there there's a lot of um there's a lot of gaslighting in this movie <laughs> a lot of a lot of gas a lot, a lot of double crossing yeah a lot of a lot of girl bossing a lot of a lot of gaslighting <laughs> um <laughs> Girl bossing. Girl, well, actually, that's meant to be used as for a woman who is the boss. She's a girl boss, you know. But I'm using it as more as they're bossing poor Susie around. Got it. Okay. But the, but the main thing is a lot. There's a, so much gaslighting. Like when um, sort of phase, I would say phase two of Falco's plan comes into play, which is that as he kind of tells JJ, they're going to come to you and beg for you to get him his job back. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you, you know, you're, you just be you, you know? And it's just, yeah, it's just so much, 
was not expecting that much gaslighting yeah, yeah. Uh, in this movie. But again, for the time, 1957, I was like, well, I don't expect any less, though. I mean, especially especially with the line, which I had to pause and tell Ashley about it. The line of Sydney telling Susie that he wishes that uh, most women wouldn't think with their think with their heads and not with their hips. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, that's um, that's not okay to say now. Again, it's, you know, these these insults, right, Mm -hmm. are are doing what a shootout would do in another movie. Right. They are they're hard hitting. They're fast. Right. And they're they're well written. Right. It's like, yeah. It's like these people are so eloquent in their in their insults, right? And they're using mm-hmm. hyperbole. They're using analogy. They're using right. It's it's fascinating. I mean, we could talk forever about you know the list of all these one liners that they get off to one another. Um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I was the, there were times where I was like, ooh, got him. Like, damn, he, <laughs> he got him. He got him good. Yeah. Um, but then there, you know, and. You know, if I'm being honest, I didn't really realize that until until you said that uh, a sec a while ago about how <clears throat> that it's it's words and 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 how these characters are speaking to each other is the violence towards one yeah. another. Yeah, because I was I was <clears throat> I was curious about that because you know when I read the back of the the criterion box and it said you know showing the killer be killed nature of of journalism in the 50s i was like okay then someone's definitely gonna die uh and shockingly no one dies no. but uh, definitely a lot of people's pride are injured and definitely feelings are hurt little, little fifis are hurt feelings definitely were hurt yes i agree yeah Especially to, in my opinion, the two women that really care for Sydney and didn't really want him helping JJ, or even probably more specifically associated with JJ, which was Mary, his secretary, and Rita. Because um, Rita, de- I think both of them definitely have a thing for him. Um, or at least Rita <clears throat> has romantic feelings, and Mary knows he could be so much more. Yeah. But <clears throat> it's sort of, you know, but as we see, JJ, uh, Sydney has sort of resigned himself like, now this is, this is who I am. I'm, I'm the middle guy. Yeah. Or, you know, he's just trying to do what he can to make it, whether what that means, I don't know. But uh, yeah, he obviously, to him, he hasn't. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, it's the again the dialogue is just so important, and um, again with that underlying sort of the theme of you know the pen is mightier than the sword, where you know we have these characters who are using they're using writing to to either help or hurt, right? Mm-hmm. They're it's almost like that's their you're right that's their form of weapons and 
um, cutting each other down and putting people in their place. And, you know, the, the constant back and forth is, um, is such a different way of, of showing violence, which you're right. Mm-hmm. It, they're ba- it's basically a fight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, things do get physical towards the end of the movie, you know, with that, that fucking, even though I didn't like JJ, that fucking cop, I think I hated him the most. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Um, but, you know, poor Dallas gets the shit kicked out of him. Yeah. And then JJ slaps Sydney around and then Sydney gets beat up by by Kello. So, you know, the violence doesn't really come like the physical violence doesn't really come until truthfully, everything's kind of come to a head, Yeah, you know, you know, the, the chess game has ended and now these are the consequences mm-hmm. essentially. And, uh, you know, and I didn't really pick up on that. And again, until you brought up everything about the words, because I was like, Oh yeah, they pretty much talk the whole time. Talk yeah, and scheme. Because Falco tries to use it on that other guy because he has information that he cheated on his wife, right? Mm-hmm. That yeah, the, um, that that columnist who cheated with yeah. uh, with Rita, right, right. And it's funny you even mentioned a chess game because his wife says, "Are we playing checkers or chess? What's going on?" Right? Oof, and yeah, they keep moving that note back and forth. Um, yeah. And good for yeah. that guy that was like, you know what? Fuck you. You know, I'll tell her straight up right yeah. now. You know, it, it's almost like this isn't the first time that Falco has tried to hold something over him and he's, you know, sick mm-hmm. of it. And, um, you know, and yeah, of course, that, like, he's like the best guy in the movie and he sucks. You know, <laughs> I know, you know, I did read. Um, I did read that this movie was a bit of a failure mm-hmm. because much like we, how we mentioned in our uh, 12 Angry Men episode, uh, shout out to our very first series ever on the podcast. Yeah. No, second series. First series was 80s movies. Second series. Uh, but it was kind of like with um, Henry Fonda? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that Tony Curtis had made a name for himself as the nice guy. Mm-hmm. And and then here he is playing this just scumbag, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that a lot of a lot of a lot of Tony Tony Curtis fans when this movie came out were uh, were none too pleased by it. Yeah, I can see that because um, a few years before it was like some like it hot, you know. He's oh. with and. Um, He's hilarious in that, of course. Yeah, it's uh, right. But he's not playing someone terrible, you know. It's right there, right, yep. right there where my finger is. Yeah. Um. Okay. Yeah, but oh, and also, I didn't realize until I looked it up. He's Jamie Lee Curtis's dad. Oh yeah, I knew that. You didn't know that? I what? Well, no, of course I didn't know that. I knew that Jennifer Lee was her mom, the first, uh, you know, Jen- scream queen, Janet Lee. Uh, for scream queen, scream queen. Uh, I told that to Ashley. I was like, "Oh, do you know who his daughter is?" And she was like, "Who?" And I was like, "His name is Tony 
Curtis. And she was like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, yeah, nice try. Nice try trying to be uh, trying to be slick on that one. <laughs> well, no, that's I was intentionally I was I was in, I was intentionally uh, uh, talking his name up. But um, oh, I anyway, but yeah, you know, but even though, you know, I, I still feel like Tony Curtis put on a hell of a performance as mm-hmm. as Sydney, this guy who you said it perfectly is trying to do what he thinks he needs to do to make it big. Cause that's, that's really all Sydney wants is he wants, he wants to be recognized as like JJ, the guy in the column. Yeah. He wants to be respected and maybe even feared. Maybe he likes, you know, that, that dynamic between Hunsaker and everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, people are terrified of him and he likes that. Right. Yeah. He, he sees that as a, as a higher sign of respect than anything. And that's why he, you know, as little morals as he has, he sacrifices the last remaining morsel of it to plant those drugs on, mm-hmm. on Dallas. Right. To plant those plant those marijuana cigarettes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> Jesus. And you know, it didn't do him any favors because no matter what, you know, Hunsecker, you know, is gonna come out on top. He's gonna double cross, right? Mm-hmm. And keeping that sort of company doesn't usually, you know, end up with you having all the success in the world, right? Going back yeah. to all of our mob films that we've done, it's fun I was to just about to, Yeah, I was just right. about to say, like, if anyone needs any other understanding, go back and listen to all of our Scorsese mob movies. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's... It, yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's fun till it's not. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, we mentioned at the top of the show this film is considered a film noir yes uh, that surprised me because we have done noirs um, you know Rafifi well I mean Rafifi is a heist film but in a way it is noir yeah. uh, um, we even did a whole episode just on film noir yeah. Uh, yeah, if anyone wants to listen to that, you can go back and listen to when Jeremy and I uh, had no direction on the podcast <laughs> and listen to a two-hour-long, essentially, lecture of Jeremy lecturing me on film noir. And what's so interesting about this film is that it's really kind of not, right? If you yeah. look at what a film noir is on paper, you're like, okay, femme fatale, not really, right? Yeah. Um, start contrast lighting, kind of only in certain spots right mm-hmm. crime not until the last 20 minutes right yeah. nobody does anything illegal until he plants those drugs right mm-hmm. um, it's not right what they're doing morally and ethically speaking but it's still legal right and so yeah, we're not even in that crime aspect anymore the only main thing that that it holds a film noir is setting which is New York New York mm-hmm. is in and of itself a character which is what 
which is what film noir does best, right? Uh, we see in M, it's Berlin. Um, we see in like the Asphalt Jungle. I think that's also New York. Um, in Double Indemnity, it's wherever that's in, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> blanking on it, but um, you know, it's the the city itself is very important, which what makes it a film noir, right? Mm-hmm. But the other stuff sort of comes and goes, right? I think that Susie becomes a femme fatale, but not only till the very end, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so we we have these tropes of film noir, but they're few and far between. Yet together, I guess it still kind of culminates into a film noir. All told, if anything, it's a ethical film noir, meaning. <laughs> that yes there's not necessarily lots of crime going on but ethically speaking it's deplorable and that's what makes it so right yeah yeah i mean it's also you the know, tail end of that era also so yeah i was just about to say like weren't we aren't we getting ready to for noirs to enter in sort of the neo-noir like chinatown yeah, i mean we're, we're 57 so yeah we're a few years away from it being gone Right. Yeah. Um, or at least not ever present, which is what it was, you know, in the 40s and um, where that sort of post-war era, you know, sort of drove a, a, a very dark tone into American filmmaking. But yeah, here we're even on the tail end of the golden age of Hollywood also, where that started to go away. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to just a couple weeks ago, our last picture show. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the, I, the I, I, yeah, I, I like yeah. what you said. This is the beginning of the victory of new Hollywood, you know, and you know, so this yeah, movie so is sort of golden age is going away. Film noir sort of going away where you see these remnants of film noir still with, you know, all the things I mentioned, um, but it not being ever present. Right. Yeah, I was just about to say, it seems like this movie is sort of in the in-between, you yeah. know, kind of one foot out the door, one foot still in. Yeah. In a way. Completely. I completely which agree I th- that. Which I think makes it, is why it's so good, because, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're, like you said, you know, it's hitting with an asterisk, it's hitting the film noir checkboxes but it's also sort of trying to maybe emulate what new hollywood sort of brought in or like right before but i mean even if the movie was made as a full-blown noir i think it would still be just as good you know Mm -hmm. If you want to think of it like like sound, this is sort of like the very beginning hum of a siren off in the distance. Mm-hmm. It's coming toward you, right? Because mm-hmm. we're getting a little bit of New Hollywood with the sort of characters we're dealing with. Like we were talking about, there is really no protagonist, right? Yeah. People are kind of awful, right, in, in this movie. It, it's... Yeah. Um, not completely awful, right? 
no one's breaking too many laws, but uh, no one's doing anything too horrible. But um, we're getting we're getting a little bit of that, which would later become more present with new Hollywood where characters are sort of anti-heroes and they're sort of hard to root for and we're telling stories of real flawed people, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're sort of at the very, very beginning of that, uh, I think, with this film. And it's sort of, it's almost confused because then it's like, but we're still in this era, so let's put in some lighting, let's make New York a big thing, let's, yeah. you know, it's... It's sort of you're right in that in between area, which is really fascinating. Um, okay, do you want to talk about the title? I would love to talk about the title because I was wondering if you know because most movies in the fifties somehow kind of circled back to a meaning somewhere hidden in the movie, and I was wondering if we were going to, and we got it, and I and I absolutely love it. Um, of Sydney celebrating at the bar and celebrating his new favorite perfume success. And, and I was just like, that's awesome. What, and what I read, he's, he's sort of disgusted with himself when he says that. And here's why. So, um, originally this was the title of the novella. He had to change it. Okay. Okay. Because it's sort of, it's sort of said, um, it's sort of sarcastic because what he means by sweet smell, he means I, I read sweet, he means ripe and smell, he means putrid odor, right? Mm. So a, a ripe putrid odor of success, right? This, this sort of, you got it, but at what cost? Like, what did you like, what did you have to do to get there? And right, okay. sort of like, it's and, and even the success is what, right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, you became more like this horrible person, you know? Congratulations, right? Yeah. Um, and in 1957, that was a little more obvious, um, is what I was reading. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I... Was, yeah, I they kind of realized that's sort of ironic and it's sarcastic. Yeah, because I obviously, you know didn't pick up on that i mean i i could tell that he was a little off while he said it but Mm -hmm. i thought for sure it was just because he was like i did it yeah here we go yeah and you know i think that once you think about it we would have gotten there eventually Uh, yeah i don't think we always would have saw this title in face value because, you know, if you read the title, like, Sweet Small Success, I don't know what that means. Who cares? You finish the film, you read it again, you're like, well, right? Because yeah. you can kind of see that sense of irony and that sense of sarcasm where sweet and smell don't really mean those two things, right? They're mm-hmm. sort of the opposite. And, um, again, smell being, you know... Um, a strange word anyway um for some reason i think uh <laughs> but again after reading it it's like okay that that makes a lot more sense and it's so strange that he had to change it the first time um with his novella um and it's called 
Um, hold on. Tell me about it tomorrow. Is what the novella is hmm. called. Um, not the first time okay. he put these characters in a story either. Um, he has them in other stories, but like in just sentences, right? Like they're not main characters, but um, in this one, he kind of lo- characters. Yeah. Kind of like how, uh, kind of like in uh, shout out to our rules of attraction, the book. Yes. Patrick Patrick's mentioned. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, now, see, now that you're saying it, you know, now it makes, it makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. that it was like, yeah, you did it. But at what cost? You know, at what what really did you gain? Yeah, sure. You gained a little a little bit of credit for for this awful person. But what what was really gained from this? Yeah. What does the success look like now? Right. Yeah. The definition of it and what you thought you were going to gain from it, what you actually got. Right. Um, Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, man, the performances in this are outstanding, right? Absolutely. Uh, Tony Curtis, I mean, he's he's slimy and gross, yet charismatic at the same time, able to keep up, you know, with um, with Lancaster, um, who at this point had his own production company. Um, I'm sure you saw. Yeah, I saw. Yeah, that I saw his name. I was like, oh, and was that also Arthur Hill? Was one of them? Because it was like Lancaster, Hill, and something um, else. Hetch. Hetched. Hold on. I'll type. <laughs> Give me a few seconds. Uh, it's James Hill. Ah, um, uh, okay. Harold Hetched. Um, James Hill and Burt Lancaster. Um, uncredited. Um producer is Janet Lee. Oh. oh. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, Tony Curtis was also an executive uh, producer. He was also uncredited. Um, so it sounds like they really wanted to get this movie made. Yeah. Which, and I mean... Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I did read that again. It was... The test screening was a bit of a failure, but... As the years have gone on, people have begun to see, like, oh, wow, this movie was actually outstanding. Right. Which I exactly. agree. Um, okay. So here's some fun facts about the writer, um, Ernest Lehman, who wrote the novella. Um, okay. He also wrote the screenplay. Oh, okay. Uh, he wrote North by Northwest. Oh. Yep. Um, he wrote the screenplay for West Side Story. No shit. And Sound of Music. And he I'm also wrote the screenplay. Theme. I know. He also wrote the screenplay for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, Yo! Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. Um, so very accomplished writer. Hello, Dolly was also on that list. Um, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, Damn, tying it, tying it all the way back to... To season two, yeah. Oh, man, uh, I love Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. Yeah, shout out, shout out to our Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf episode. Yeah, stage to screen. I know yeah. that was a good episode. We could do another one, by the way. Another stage to screen series. Uh, there's more, so 
I mean, the whale counts. So yeah, that's true. Um, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of these one of these seasons, you'll get. I mean, next season, you'll get to to do a series. So we might might do times two. We'll do it again. Well, so Jeremy, are you ready to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up? I am. Um, amazing film. It is. It has a hundred percent meta score on IMDb. Um, it is on. Um, Roger Ebert's greatest films list. It's on a thousand one movies to see before you die. I mean, this is like one of the big ones. So, um, we did it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I absolutely loved it. Um, glad I finally got to open up my criterion. Uh, that book is so thick, by the way. I didn't read it, but I know, dude. No, I, I was gonna read it last night, but but by, by the time I finished the movie, because I stayed up late to to do some chores, uh, do some laundry, I was like, I'm not, I'm not reading this. So yeah. I put to my put my disc back in, closed it up, put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Hey, you actually watched the disc this time. That's uh, that's a rarity. Well, it's because I decided not to be lazy and fuck around, and so I was like, all right, I need to watch it tonight. Yeah. No excuses. Yeah. So Haley slept well, the entire time. So she didn't. <laughs> well, it's okay. Y'all are married now. So yeah. she doesn't legally have to do anything. No, she doesn't. That was in the contract. <laughs> she said, I legally do not have to watch a movie with you. I said, okay. If it's, if they're, if it's not in color, I'm not watching it. <laughs> I did put it in. She goes, oh, it's this kind of movie. I go, yeah. I don't know what <laughs> What does that mean? Explain yourself. uh, Every time I tell her we're going to watch a movie, she goes, her first question always is, is it scary? I said, no. And then she, she asked again, are you sure? I said, yeah, I promise. And then I put it in. She goes, oh, Oh. and then immediately went to sleep. Oh, it's black and white. Never mind. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Gross. All right. So, Jeremy, are you uh, ready to hear what we're going to talk about next week? I would love to find out. Even though, you know, we're doing next week. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm very excited. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, before I tell you all what we're going to be talking about next week, um, we are coming up close to the end of season seven. Finally. Finally. After 10 fucking months. Um, This will be my last pick. Before the series, which I am also picking, uh, as we always do. So next week, we are... My final pick will be an Akira Kurosawa movie, our third one for the season. So next week, we are doing High and Low. Um, All I know about this movie is the wrong kid gets kidnapped. And what do you do? And I love it. That's what you know about it. I mean, you've told me that even though you love Seven Samurai, that Kurosawa's modern modern films are I love, on a whole nother I level. I love his contemporary films. I mean, his obviously his samurai stuff is iconic and it's great and amazing and whatever. But High and Low, man, is such a killer movie. Man, it's so good. Um, I mean, we'll get into it, but there there is things he does with his actors and how he arranges them on screen. It's completely brilliant. He's genius. And you're just like, who thinks of stuff like that? How can you, you know, it's truly 
he takes the visual medium and he just uses every bit he can get out of it. It's so good. Yeah, you know, and this will be the fourth one we've done over the whole podcast, you know, with the first being Rashomon and Seven Samurai. Yeah, and then Ikuru. And now high and low, man. And I'm uh, I'm really excited. I I love Kurosawa. I I can't wait. I still have dreams on my wish list. I Mm -hmm. want that so badly. Yeah. But yeah. It's good. I have it. It's over there. Yeah. I'm jealous. Uh, well, all right, everyone. Well, we hoped you enjoyed the Sweet Smell of Success. Uh, of course, we will be back in person next week. And we all will right, see you next week. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no. People just, people just only had a small seizure just then. And it was, it was I got, oh, got, the, got the shivs. I know, and the people on mic are like, what's happening? Why why hasn't Rain finished the outro yet? <laughs> it's my fault. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, well, we will see everyone next week for High and Low.